How you doing? I uh, been okay. You know, not that I know we're doing ghosts tonight, but there's been some weird things going around here in the house. I I leave the room, I come back, and there'll be things open on the counter. Usually, I think it's just Ben, but it's been other things. You know, dishes moved, the garbage taken out. Garbage which, taken out. I didn't think anybody in your house did that. Yeah, I know. Usually, we got to yell at somebody, but then I who who took the garbage out? Nobody who? pipes who? up. Who? I, who? Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if maybe you, know, you think I have a ghost in the house. Uh, yeah, no. It's, uh-huh. it's probably it's probably your wife trying to make you think you're crazy <laughs> so that she can commit you somewhere. Yeah. That has to be it. Twice. What was that? What was that? What was what? I heard crunch, crunch. That's probably my brain. Oh. Brain. Brain. Back to the bin. You think people listen to after the credits? I hope so. I put a I lot do. of things to embarrass you there. You always make fun of me. Yeah. <laughs> Sky. Oh, we both have Marvel books. Sky Rider of the Spaceways. That just doesn't work. Woo! What was that? I, I was trying to sing Sky Rockets at night using Sky Riders of the you mean, Spaceway. Uh, Afternoon Delight. Afternoon Delight. Yeah. What? What, what was that? Did you just do like your two fingers going with your? That's what that sounded like. No fingers. You know, it was voice to the bottom of the sea marathon all weekend on decades. It was great. I love that show. That's that, a show I never really watched. Man, that Star Trek and Doctor Who was the three shows. Anytime I go to a new move or visit somebody, I'd always open the TV paper and look for those three shows on on all the local stations, and I could always find at least one of them. Well, Star Trek. I mean. It's so readily available in so many different formats. I don't even need them to broadcast it. No, no, no. When I was a kid. Oh. Not now. I mean, like, when I would visit my grandparents or visit a, somebody, we'd go out of town. I'd always try to find, you know, like, oh, is Voyage of the Sea or Doctor Who or, or Star Trek? I used to look for the uh, Marvel superheroes cartoons. Mm. And the, uh, yep. the other favorite as a kid. Like, a favorite that I really remember very little of, as opposed to the ones where I'm, like, you know, where I have them, uh, you know, not like Star Trek, where it's all in my memory, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, Land of the Giants. Mm-hmm. That was the science fiction show that I really liked, but I, like, I couldn't even tell you about specific episodes at all. Well, see, I could remember specific Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea episodes, and I watched quite is a that few Lloyd that Bridges? I had not seen. No, that was, that was Sea Hunt. That was Sea Hunt. Who was in Voyage was... to the Bottom of the Sea? Richard Basehart is Admiral Nelson, uh-huh. and David Hedison is Captain Crane. I am a David Hedison fan from his days as Felix Leiter. Oh, yeah. Well, then you you, you would love him in Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea. Except after watching quite, I'd say I watched at least 12 episodes this weekend on, on and off in different, you know, at different stages. Some complete, some not. But it seems like a lot of them, it became very formulaic. When, you know, when you watch them back to back to back, you kind of see that. Right. How many seasons and, was that? Four. 1964 wow. to 1968 and like the first season was black and white and it was like a cold war drama 
Then they went, whew, they went off the deep end, and it became all. It was well. The first, I think, the first two two seasons were in the far off future of the 1970s, and the third and fourth season were in the far off future of 1982. Because <laughs> some began saying 1982, and I'm like, wow, wow. Well, that's that's a mistake I think they make in very many forms of media where they underestimate how long and how accessible the properties are going to be. There's so many things where it's supposed to take place in the future, and they're just better off just saying in the not-too-distant future instead of actually putting a year on it. Mm-hmm. You Because know, once, well, once, once that year is in the past, it starts losing a little of its luster. Yeah. Well, I watched three episodes back-to-back, and it was one involving a mummy on a nuclear submarine, a mermaid where David... Ha- ha- David Hedison sees a mermaid while he's looking out the front viewport. Of course, he's the only one that sees it. And uh, then, there, and of course, there was mermen, but they were like scaly-looking guys. And then there was, then there was one who was like a a, a spy, but he was uh, he was a shadow, and he would come in and, and he, oh yeah, it was weird. And then there was the one with like these lobster, this lobster crustacean alien. <laughs> really you sound out like, there. like just average days in the life of normal people. Yeah, yeah. It was I, I was loving it. Luke, Jack, uh, Mr. Jack, and Eddie and I have joked about doing, uh, doing like a one-off show called Voyager to the Bottom of the Sea, where we look at the first episode, the first two-part episode of, of Voyager and Voyage and the movie Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, just because they share somewhat of a name. That's what we're kind of going to just call it, Voyager to the Bottom of the Sea. Well, if we ever uh, if we ever do our next project with me, you, and Andy, oh, we'll definitely have to cover a Voyager to the Bottom of the Sea show. They're just too good to pass up, especially the one with the German U-boat commander that comes back as a ghost. The key is going to be having access to the to the episodes to watch. Most of them, I think, are online, like on YouTube. Um, I found a couple on YouTube, but. Uh, yeah, the German U-boat commander one, where he wants to possess Captain Crane's body, and it's actually a two-parter because he comes back again because he couldn't get Crane, and I think he tries to get Admiral Nelson. So, could be anyway, interesting. I've babbled enough about Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. So, you want to do your spooky voice and bring us in? Oh no, I'm, I'm just so tired. I'm not up for this. Well, let me see. Well, well, right, we'll, we'll, spook- well spooky ghost voice would be different. No. Uh, should I? Yeah, that sounds over there. I'll <laughs> just bring it in. <laughs> I already did that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's figure it. Mm-hmm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins Horror Month Week Four. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined by who? Who, who are you again? <laughs> Bill Boo. I almost call myself Bill Boo Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> what did you and Scott get married? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's. Scott, he's not here, Gardner. Yeah, unfortunately, Scott had other commitments. Scott is out on assignment. Scott's with his woman. Oh, sorry. I said, because we were talking earlier, and I said, shouldn't you be off pitching woo? And he was like, what the hell is that? I said, you know, make him with the romance like. It's being Mr. Smooth. Uh, Not being a cube. Yeah, well, you can't help to, you know. They'd have to grind those edges to keep them from being a cube. (laughs) 
wouldn't just be a so big now we're, we're continuing on our trend this month where our horror month is really not horror comics pretty much I mean, we've had a couple of little where we've dabbled into a little bit but even then there were more twilight zoney than horror yeah they were so, light-hearted fair and today's nah. theme we decided to go with ghosts and we both picked superhero books with ghost themes to them dun, 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 dun. So I guess, you know, I mean, in, in our own way, we're combining horror and superheroes, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Or at least I think it is. <laughs> I guess the listeners will decide. But, uh, you know, so we're not really going pure horror this year. The horror. Horror. <laughs> you're nothing but a... What was it? You're a grocery you're nothing but clerk? A, you're nothing but a bagel. No, you're a delivery boy, right? You're a delivery boy. Sent, sent by, by grocery clerks. to collect a debt. That was Alvin. It was... Back in the day. <laughs> And who any for any of you who don't know what we're talking about, listen for the bit on the Two True Freaks 500th episode, Apocalypse Alvin, coming Remember to a theater when we, near you. When we were still fairly new to this, we did the... When we were fairly uh, nude? Oh, nude. No, Sorry. no. Well, um, I don't think I've ever been fairly nude with you, and I want to keep that record going. Well, I don't know. You don't know what I wear when we podcast, or what oh, I don't it. wear. We, we have quite a bit of the country between us then. I don't really care. All that separates us is a microphone. <laughs> well, when we we were fairly new to the podcasting business, and they did the celebration of Two True Freaks' three hundredth episode, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I mean, it it seemed like wow, three hundred episodes. How could you ever get to that? And now we're up to like two sixty something on bins. Wow, jeez. I remember, you know, as we were holding hey, off trying to do the one hundredth episode. Yeah, yeah, we kept inserting. Fractions, decimals. And then with this 200th pie. episode, we inserted a lot of uh, Avengers spotlights. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So it's, it's we, just, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't really have any point other than, I guess they accumulate, you know, quicker than you realize. Well, if we counted the Avengers ones in there, who we'd probably be, well, well it's only like 20 episodes, never mind. <laughs> but huh. um, I don't know, maybe we should we start thinking about 300? Should we take a request? Well, you know that's that's what I was thinking. I mean, we have a ways to go, but we've we've kept up the pace of an episode a week for several years now. So that 300th episode will be upon us before you know it. So if people do have specific requests as to what they think might be a good theme for that episode, a theme, uh, you think a dramatic reading. Mm, I, I know, know we had. A that's why I was asking if people ago. had suggestions. Well, we had a suggestion a long time ago. I think for 100 or 150 about reading a Conan book that we never. Uh, I apologize if I can't remember who suggested that. I know it was an. I thought it was an, an email that we got, and we did have plans, and we had, we had other people picked for roles. So I think we were going to do Conan 100, weren't we? That was the plan. Time. Yeah. And you were going to do Conan as Arnold. Yes. Needless to say, <laughs> but uh, you know we could do, possibly do that, or if maybe if there's a different book that they think a dramatic reading of would be effective, you know maybe we do that. And I'll or, do or maybe there's some other Conan. theme that the that they would be inclined to request. Just something to think about as as we rapidly approach 300. We could do a dramatic reading of the assistant editor's books that had uh, you know no no uh, no no balloons in them. Yeah, we'll do a dramatic reading of the silent episode, silent issue of G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah, just no noise. Just a lot of grunting, breaking things, fighting. Yeah, that's it. Works for me. It's anyway. Like a, it's like a Friday night at my house. Oh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, for 
as I said, for week four of uh, of Horror Month, we've gone with ghosts as our theme. Space Gold. My issue has the ghost of the uh, what's we we'll call it, the Flying Dutchman. Hey, so in honor of that, I have a question for you, Bill. Is what did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? R. He said, "I matey." Oh, Get it? I matey. I'm 80. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's stupid, but it's a joke. <laughs> nah. These are the jokes, boy. Laugh. <laughs> <laughs> So, my issue is Silver Surfer number 8 from September of 1969. Oh, you got issues. What? Nothing. September of 69? Dude. What was the... So, that's the cover date. What was the... What was the on the shelf date? I would have to go to Mike's Amazing World to see that. And I don't have it open at the moment. I have it open. I have it open. It had a cover price of 15 cents. And that is because... Up until this issue, The Silver Surfer was a double-sized book for issues one through seven. Issue eight, it went down to a normal-sized book. So it was 25 cents before this one. So the cover actually has the words, now only 15 cents on it. Did you get that that, uh, newsstand date? Got it. What is it? Oh, so close. Oh, actually, this is pretty close to the day we landed on the moon. Not we, but, you know, July 22nd, 1969. Dude. Well, I, the reason I was asking is, oh, so see, because I was born on June 26, 1969. So issue seven came out in May, so there was no issue that came out the month I was born. They, they probably put it on hiatus. Mm. Month of silence for you. Yeah, well, it was bi-monthly, and I think I think it went monthly with the cutting down to a you know regular-sized issue. Mm. But I'm not certain of that. Actually, looking at the... Uh, it would be correct, because no, issue 9 came out in August. There you go. And, and looking down at the bottom, it says published monthly. Now, monthly, monthly, monthly. Although monthly. it does not say that on the cover. The cover is by the great John Buscema. It shows the surfer uh, on his board flying through a city street. Not all that high up, probably only about 25 feet in the air. Uh, and he's going through an ethereal orange image of the Flying Dutchman with the words, Introducing the Ghost. Hence, its connection to our ghost theme for this month, for this week. Mm-hmm. The story is titled Now Strikes the Ghost, and it's written by Smilin' Stan Lee, penciled by John Buscema, inked by Dan Adkins, and lettered by Sam Rosen. Mephisto is pissed off. He's lamenting a defeat at the hands of the surfer, and will never rest until the surfer's soul is his. Even though he can kill the surfer with but a thought, he would be denied his soul, which is what he truly hungers for. He reaches out with his energy and causes the surfer untold agony, but then stops for fear of killing him and denying the Lord of the Underworld his soul. The surfer knows who struck at him because of the lingering odor of fire and brimstone. Pew! Yeah, really. Oh, God. But he says, all that remains is the, me- is the memory, a memory which I must bury forever, for even the thought of it is more than my mind can bear. That would be pretty, uh, I guess, pretty intense agony there. So to further his plans, Mephisto makes contact with a whimpering dope who's trying to summon a demon or demons from hell, but immediately <laughs> starts panicking when Mephisto appears. So Mephisto uses this dope as a transmitter to summon the ghost of Just van Straten, a sea captain who, who became... Yes, <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> 
<laughs> the Swedish, the Swedish chef is the Flying Dutchman, <laughs> pretty much. And uh, he became obsessed with finding some treasure and brought about the death of his crew by heading into the teeth of a storm against their pleas. And so, when death came to take them, he was condemned to not go to heaven or hell, but instead to sail the seven seas on a voyage without end as the Flying Dutchman. <laughs> So now, Mephisto explains that he has been unable to tempt the surfer, and he has also been unable to strike fear within his heart. So Mephisto now uses his power to reshape the ghost into a claw-handed, bug-eyed Mick Fleetwood. <laughs> Sorry. Looking in on the surfer, he's aware of the fact that Mephisto will be getting ready to strike again. He gets strength by thinking of his beloved Shalabal and lamenting his inability to reunite with her. Shalabala? Well, at the same time... Oh, I always call her Shalabala, but eh, I guess Shalabala. Shalabala ding dong. Ding so, bang. At the same time, she's thinking about, he's thinking about her, she's thinking about him with dreams of him, because he is dreaming. We cut back to Mephisto and the ghost, where the ghost is practicing with his new power, when the cube that Mephisto used to bring him over asks if the ghost should serve him as well. And at that, Mephisto <laughs> commands the ghost to strike him dead. <laughs> pew pew! So much for that. Mephisto promises that if the ghost gets him the surfer's soul, he will be a ghost no more. Sensing the ghost's desire for a vessel, he provides the Flying Dutchman with a ghostly flying ghost ship. People on the street below look on and the ghost uses his eye blast to the crowd below in order to gain the surfer's attention. People on the street, bida bida dee oh, <laughs> And the story's to be concluded next issue. And this, this is followed by a, a special note from Stan in which he says this was intended to be one a one-issue story, not two, but because they made that change from the double issue to the single, they had to break up the story into two parts. So it does have a feel, at least it did to me, of incompleteness and not really ending at a true cut off cut off point yeah I mean they do you know he's created and he's ready for the battle but it doesn't seem to have like much of a cliffhanger at that point yet yeah you can tell that final panel looks tacked on yeah they probably should have added a page to this and just put a little bit more to build up the uh, the suspense for the next issue that said when I first read this I, I'm very confident I read both parts of it at the same time so I didn't really have that feel of incompleteness this story, though, like, it's hard to say. I, I liked it, but it almost has that decompressed feeling of 30 years later. And it doesn't feel like a lot occurred in it. It doesn't feel that meaty. And I think that's a byproduct of the fact that it was only meant to be the first half of, of a single contained story. Yeah. What'd you think of it? He's pretty scary looking at first. I don't know why he had to make him scarier. Although, I don't I, even I thought know he made him really more scarier. Wimpy. I thought he was scarier yeah, before I mean, he, he just, got up Yeah, he's... He looks like a, he's got leaves and stuff growing out of him. He's all green and missing teeth. And then he just makes him look, I, I don't know. I don't want to say. His name should be Myron. Myron. Myron the Flying Dutchman. I was the Flying Dutchman, but now I'm Myron the Flying Accountant. Jerry Lewis could have done his voice. <laughs> now, I, I first encountered him in the issue which I covered in one of my first ever Bins episodes. Where uh, in the Avengers, when uh, Kang had his Legion of the Unliving, and he, he took all these deceased villains and had them face off against the Avengers, and the Ghost was one of them. Face off? What are they playing hockey? Yeah, that's that's Break. what they were. That's what they were doing, Bill. 
But it, <laughs> I like uh, to see but, the. But that's that was my first encounter with him, and then I had the curiosity of wanting to go back and see what you know where he came from, and he he really hasn't been a very active villain. I think he did appear a few times after that story. But those were the only two stories I've ever encountered him in, were, were the Avengers story and this one. So the Legion of the Unliving, was a hum- was the original Human Torch in that? Yes. It was the original well, Human been, Torch. It would have been ghost, really hard to play hockey then. <laughs> uh, Midnight from Master of Kung Fu. Um, the Frankenstein Monster. Grim Reaper? No. No, I think Wonder was a Man. Wonder Man. I'm trying to remember if there's anybody else. There's probably somebody I'm leaving out. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Ben Stein was in the Legion of the Unliving. Ben Stein was the guy that was conjuring uh, Mephisto. Oh, it's probably one Ben Stein's money. <laughs> I have dry red eyes. Oh, no, it's Mephisto. In fact, he's got that one. He's got that one panel with his... Actually, he does look like he has dry red eyes. There's smoke coming out of the poor guy's eyeballs. On page six. Yeah, let me take a look at that. Page six, you say. Yeah, right in the middle. Oh yeah. Well, no, but that's the that's the cube. That's not the ghost. Oh yeah. That, no, I'm saying that's that's that, I'm saying that the cube is Ben Stein. Okay, I got you. Yeah. He really Mephisto, was. Mephisto, Mephisto, Mephisto. Poof! There he was, like uh, Beetlejuice. Oops! I better look behind me. Make sure Mephisto's not behind me. Oh, Baron Zemo was also one of the Legion of the Unliving. That's good old Baron Zemo. What's Nothing that? like a good old Baron Zemo. Nothing like a fancy purple coat. The, the original Baron. The Zemo. white with the white fur. Oh yeah, but he had the white fur trim, right, on his on his outfit too, didn't he? Of course he did. Of course he did. I like the agony shot of the Silver Surfer where he's gripping his head with the pain. The pain. The pain. The chamber of the ages. Oh, wait, that's I think the artwork in this is is really good. The coloring, I think. I like when he's in the paint. How they swirl the page. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever been in a lot of pain, and sometimes it's like all you can feel, and just trying to block it out of your mind, doing anything. And it's, uh, I'd say, the worst pain I had was some of the recovery from my my kidney stone surgery. That I was like begging my wife, like I got to take more painkillers. <laughs> please like, no. put this pillow over my face and push down on it. <laughs> Just like make it stop, please make it stop. Kill me now. <laughs> yeah, well, the the only the only negative I have on the artwork in this book is the fact that it was subject to the coloring of the day. The coloring looks a little washed out in it. Yeah. Especially the opening page, like Mephisto's like really like his hand is I don't know if they were trying to do some type of shading, but it looks like he's got a big starfish in the center of his palm. In which one? In the first opening page. It's like he's got Starro on his hand from from DC. See it? Yeah, I see what you're talking about. A little bit, a little bit. So yeah, I mean it's like it's just kinda I mean, you know what they were trying to do, but I mean well they were limited by the colors of the day. Yeah. I, th- I think that's really what it comes down to, especially on page four, the last panel. I think the coloring in that panel looks poor. Oh, where he's, yeah. With Mephisto shooting down and... And it's all just yellow. Yeah, and, and even the coloring on his body is just kind of... It, it, it goes from to like a red it's... to a pink, and it, you, like there's a clear delineating line between them. It mm-hmm. doesn't like subtly change. 
Yeah. Well, but, but I, I think the actual book as drawn is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of detail. Um, it's funny to think that John Buscema did not like drawing superhero books. And I was reading up a little bit on the criticism. You know, Surfer's always been an interesting character for me. And, and clearly Stan had some sort of a proprietary feeling about him. But when I was reading up on the, the criticism a little bit, they were saying, you know, that, that the Surfer really was Kirby's character and Stan kind of usurped him. But that Stan was much better at writing, you know, more street level or, or personal relationships. Like, you know, basically, you know, the Spider-Man book, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that the cosmic stuff kind of got a little bit lost on Stan. I don't necessarily agree with that criticism, but I can understand where they're coming from. They said originally Kirby did not plan the Surfer to have been a humanoid that got transformed into the Surfer. That he he had more of an idea of him being, you know, kind of an energy being. But that Stan kind of forced the humanoid thing because it allowed him to write a little bit of the soap opera type thing with Shalabal. Yeah, because if he was just what he was just going to be pure energy from the start, well, then how would he? I mean, I guess he would come from a planet of energy beings. I mean, because that's the whole point of his story is that he gives up his humanity, become the the herald of but Galactus. But that's, that's Stan's story. Apparently, Jack oh. had different ideas. But I always thought Jack was a great concept guy, but not necessarily the greatest execution guy. And mm-hmm. I thought that's where he and Stan made such a great team because, you know, Kirby would come up with the concept and then Lee would kind of ground it a little bit mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more relatable. So I, I thought as a combo, they they were, in my opinion, the all-time great, you know, comic book combo. But individually, I think they both needed the other. Mm-hmm. Although Stan did, you know, pretty much as well with Ditko on Spider-Man. But that relationship soured. You know, by the time that only went thirty some odd issues before Ditko kind of had enough and went on, went on his own. Yeah. And John Romita came in and took over the art on that. So, you know, it says something for the Kirby Lee combo. Obviously, this is the Lee Buscema combo, but you know, Surfer was a Kirby character as originally created. Well, yeah, in um, uh, Fantastic Four. Yes. So this this is kind of, and I don't think, you know, I don't think Kirby really felt, I, I think he had a proprietary feeling that, you know, because he wanted credit for what he did, and there were eventually some hard feelings about that, but I don't think he necessarily minded other people taking his characters and then fleshing them out or changing them. I don't think that was his his problem. So I don't think he more, really cared. More than just getting the initial credit to begin with. The, the initial credit for... I don't, I'm not even sure he had all that much of an ego, but I think it was more for the, you know, for, for the potential financial well, considerations. Yeah. Well, yeah, when seeing what, because when did he pass away? Like in the 90s? I think in the early 90s. Yeah. Maybe mid-90s. So, I mean, at that point, was he getting any, like, for his prior, well, that was about, the 90s was, his, I think that was when the Silver Surfer cartoon was out. I don't, I don't think that. Kirby ever got the financial rewards that he should have for what right. he created. I, I think, you know, I understand and I've I've been an advocate of, hey, you work for hire, you know, so you gave up your rights to it. But, you know, Stanley is a rich man based on what he did. And I, I would have liked for Jack Kirby to have also been a rich man. I don't mm-hmm. think he ever was. 
But yeah, I mean, some of the th- he places passed away were... in 1994, by the way. No, his wife passed. Yeah, he and his wife both passed away in 94. That's oh. interesting. Did he pass away first or did she pass away first? He died February 6th, 1994. His wife passed away. It just says 1994, so I couldn't tell you what, you mm. know, if, if it was earlier or later. But since he, considering he was in February, he probably passed first. Mm. It makes me sad. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think? What did you think of this issue, Bill? Tell me. Eh. <laughs> you liked it that much, huh? Well, I like I like where he's seeing Shalabal. Shalabal? Shalabal? Where he sees her in space. Although the space is a little. Uh, again, with the multicolored big balls of planets. Space isn't that busy. But this could be. Well, you know what? I guess that doesn't matter because this is in his mind's eye, really. So this could be, yeah, this is just what he's seeing, uh, like a dream state, because she's having the same thing. Um, the ghost is, like we said, I, why did he need to give him two metallic claws that shoots laser beams and an eye that shoots a laser? Wasn't he scary enough? Couldn't he just, like, left him the way it was and just let him shoot energy? He could, he reminds me a lot of the... Um, with the with the eye thing, maybe not the claws, but the uh, what? Uh, I don't know, I don't know if that this character was. You know what? I think the character I'm thinking about was introduced in the Silver Surfer book, Quasimodo. Uh, he was introduced in Fantastic Four and was it? But oh. the but the Silver Surfer actually gave him his humanoid form. Yeah, it just kind of reminds me a little bit of that. Although Quasimodo is, looks more like Quasimodo, but he's got the one kind of goofy eye that looks kind of computerized, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't know. The, the the ghost doesn't. I mean, I guess he's formidable. He can sh- he can shoot lasers. All I want, but is, is it Mephisto too much to ask was to get a shark that could shoot a freaking laser beam off its head. <laughs> but I do like uh, where Mephisto, where he's changing him. The the like the difference in the color choices they did there. Like the shot where he's drawing in the power um, on the bottom of page twelve. You know, think as I call upon the powers of darkness, and and you see it looks like the energy is being drawn into the the brownstone or whatever the style home it is, where uh, you know Mori the uh, the uh, what are we gonna call him Mori the monotonous magician decides to uh, summon Mephisto. I'm just making that name up. I don't think that's his name in the book. <laughs> I'm pretty but, confident uh, it's not. But. The next one where you've got Mephisto and his hands are out. Now, I like this color choice because he's got his his fingers are out red and he's got this eldritch magical energy and it's got it looks a little bit like Kirby crackle in it, uh-huh. but it's a different color. It's it's green, light green with like a different shade of green inside that with dark green dots. And it's is surrounded by the yellow energy coming from his hands. And then it's like he's gathering that, and then when he shoots it, it kind of reverses and becomes red. Like, that's what he was drawing in, and then when he releases it, it changes color, and he transforms uh, uh, the Flying Dutchman into the ghost. Not really thrilled with the ghost transform the final form, but the transformation with Mephisto, I I thought was pretty cool. I could go with that. In in Uh, the the next issue... uh... You know the two face off against each other. Basically, he, 
you know, the ghost starts threatening people until the surfer appears, then the surfer appears, they do battle, and eventually the ghost has had enough of following Mephisto's commands, and he kind of, you know, puts up a fight against him, and that's the end of the battle. Oh, he just sends him back to Never Never Land? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Poor Mori the Magician, blasted by the ghost. Why, Why is he calling for the demons from hell? If he's going to be upset when a demon from hell appears. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's beyond be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Well, you know, I know when I call demons from hell. Oh, wait, never mind. But he's got that he's got that arm up in the air like, you know, I'm OK. OK. Although he's completely on fire. <laughs> like when you're you're going down when you're when uh, like an old uh, the movie was like. Abbott Costello, when he's drowning, he's going into water. He's got the one hand up and like one finger. Which uh, which page are you talking about? Uh, beginning of page eight, eighteen. He's he's lying on on, on the floor and he's got just oh, one yeah, hand yeah, up yeah. in the air with fits encased in fire. What what a, what a moron though! After everything that happened, he starts with the you know, but should he not serve me as well? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, Wit. it's like it's like please blast me. Witless mortal, again, you presume too much. You thought to summon the forces of evil, and now you shall learn the deadly price of such ambition. <sighs> Zap. He gets the old ghost bug zapper. Ouch. That's good. <laughs> and eat some... Ba- That's what he's saying. He's like, he's got his arm up going, little bactine, something, anybody? Neosporin? Aloe vera plant, maybe? <laughs> I'm all right. If you take me right to the hospital, I should be fine. <laughs> I am very badly burned. <laughs> so I guess I might the, as well just jump about, to the ratings on this one. What about the guy that's hanging out the window with a phone? Where's that? Uh, page 19. <laughs> Operator, call the police. The, the newspapers, anything. There's a ship flying over Madison Avenue. Yeah, it's kind of oh. cool that they can see it. I, yeah. I, I thought that was going to be, like, you know, invisible to their eyes. Then the people down the street, wooey, that's one way to beat the cross-down traffic. Yeah, well, they think it's, at that point, they think it's some sort of an advertising stunt. Yeah, until uh, the big laser eye of the ghost blows up a building. And they're like, holy, sh-. you know, that ain't no advertising stunt. Ah, <laughs> uh, so... You gonna grade it? Yeah, I might as well. Uh, I really like the cover. I like the way it's drawn. I'm not totally thrilled with some of the color choices, but that's my only criticism of it. I think you know, the surfer looks way? compelling. The ghost look actually looks. At, I think he looks at his scariest in his ghost form on the cover. Mm-hmm. So, I'm gonna say. I don't like the color of him on the cover. Well, that's what I said. I'm not crazy about some of the color choices. I don't like that. I also don't like the deep blue sky background. It could be night. So I'm going to... But it just from a... You know, if I see it on the stand point of view, I'm not crazy mm-hmm. about that color choice. So, But I'm going to say, you know, the, as drawn, I really like the image. So I'm going to say a B plus on the cover. I have similar feelings about the interior art. I think the art is really good. I think penciled and inked really, really well. I'm just not totally thrilled with the coloring. But I'm going to write some of that off to the ability they had at the time uh, as far as color palettes and that type of thing. 
and I'm gonna say an A minus on the interior art the story itself suffers some from the fact that it was split up because it has that decompressed not a lot going on feeling you know not a lot occurs in this issue other than the ghost being created it's all set up yeah but it's set up fairly well so I'm gonna say a B minus on the story and it probably would be a, a regular B if if they had kept it in its original format with it being a one issue story so overall, I'll give the book a B, a B plus. For what do you think? Uh, the cover, yeah, and I'm just wondering, like, what should they? Well, now, because that would have been a little too. Like, I'm just trying to think what different color could they use for the ghost? I would maybe say a greenish color might have been good. Um. They couldn't really make him white to make him look more ethereal because then he would just blend in with the Silver Surfer, I think. Yeah, I agree. and it wouldn't and it wouldn't look good. They they got to keep him a different color, a definite non um, white color. But I guess the only other one that would really work would be green. What do you think? How do you think it would look with green? Would it look better, or would you think he's some type of gamma villain? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm having a tough time picturing it because, like I said, I would probably change the background above him as well so i'm not sure see because you couldn't use gray or white or silver of course you couldn't really get away with that i mean because the silver surfer is basically white as it is with the coloring techniques of the era like blue would just be too off-putting i think i don't know i think green is all you could really go with but that's just me so maybe my criticism of the color palette is unfair because if you went with green, then what color do you do the sky? Because I don't think the green goes that well with the sky. You can make a lighter color sky, but then the Silver Surfer wouldn't stick out as much. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's I'm not sure we would, I'd be making it better. So I, you know, now that you've kind of gone through the options, I think it lessens my criticism of the colors they chose. Because hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm noticing like the like look at the guy that's leaning out of the taxi. He's wearing the traditional villain colors. Like a purple, although it looks more like a pink, pink and green. You know, he looks like he's wearing the the Green Goblin colors, as are a lot of the some of the people in the crowd. But I guess that's just trying to, you know, you can't have everybody in brown. I guess brown and blue. They're trying trying to make them stand out. But anyway, I, I'm I'm beating the beating a dead ghost here with the cover. So I'm gonna give the cover a B plus myself. Um, I do like the image of him going through. I guess he's gone through the ghost. Yeah, because yeah, because the ghost or, or, or is turning and like looking right at, on top of him. Yeah, or he's right on top of him because, but then that would mean the ghost is huge. Well, see he the, is. the yeah, the ethereal mm. image is is huge. Yeah, the ethereal image is huge. So, but anyway, B for that. Um, I like I like a lot of the inside. I mean, there's some of the um, like I said, especially where he's in that 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 pain and that wash of color around him that just blurs out the real world. I think that was a nice touch. Um, yeah, we do see some of the limits of the color, but the art is good as well. So that is, I'm gonna give that a, I'm gonna give that a a, a B plus as well. And eh, even though there's a lot of exposition, uh, you know, with the, I mean, it's nice that we get a flashback. We get, well, we get one, two, three pages, full pages of flashback for. The Flying Dutchman, which... 
you know, and, if this if, if this was today's storytelling, there'd be a whole there'd be a whole whole uh, episode uh, episode a whole issue would be devoted to the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, I, I think you have to make a distinction between flashback telling somebody's backstory and flashback repeating what happened in previous issues. This this is a flashback just giving a backstory. It's not something that had ever been presented in the comic before. Mm. So I I think that type of flashback is more tolerable than when they just go on and on for pages with stuff that we already knew. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 no. I mean, it's nice we touch on the little... Uh, we even have time for a three-page diversion uh, of the Silver Surfer thinking of his honey. So, I mean, there, there's still a lot going on in here. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give the story a B-plus as well. So I'm a B-pluses all around. All right. And that's the story of the ghost. Das Goost. You have a ghost for me, too? I do have a ghost. I have... Tell us about your ghost, Bill. I brought, and this was an ongoing thing today, as you can attest to all the texts and messaging going back and forth, because I had my hot little mind today while I was working, when I should be concentrating on work. Instead, I was thinking of ghosts, and books that had ghosts in them. And I think this kind of qualifies, although it's been so long since I've read all these. We'll see. We'll have a discussion afterward. After we talk about the West Coast Avengers, issue number 31. And our information comes from Mike's Amazing World. Cover date, April 1988. On sale date, December 1st, 1987. Cover price, 75 whopping cents. Editor, Mark Grunwald. And the cover is Al Milgram and Mike McKeon. Huh? Huh? Uh, I, Mac- I would say Macklin. Macklin? Yeah, that's what I would say. Oh, that's all. Oh, you know what? That is an L. My, my eyesight is not what it used to be. I thought it was C H I A N. So, yeah, Macklin. Sorry. I, well, it, I guess if that was an I, it would be McKeon. If that were an I, it probably would be McKeon. Oh, man. And I got a 32 inch monitor and I can't see that. What the hell? Sometimes size, <laughs> sometimes size doesn't matter, Bill. Exactly. That's what she said. Oh, boom, boom. Shrinkage. That's all I got to say. Writer, Steve Englehart. Penciler, Alan Milgram. Anchor, Mike Macklin. Letterer, Bill Oakley. And colorist, Paul J. Beckton. Beckton. And our cover has the West Coast Avengers, which at this time... Notice I'm vamping because I can't get back to the book. There it is. Jesus. Ah, there we go. Uh, we have um, way in the background. We have Wonder Man fighting who appears to be Archon. Which spoiler, it is. Oh, and on the cover it says Archon's back. Duh. And this time it's no movie because Wonder Man had been starring in movies with uh, uh, where he was playing the role of Archon. And um, and no, this isn't the return of the Archons. From Star Trek, before you make a... Uh, are, are you, you with the body? Body. <laughs> Not the body. Festival. Festival, festival. That's what's going on in this picture. Because Archon and Wonder Man are going to town while Tigra, Hank Pym, and uh, Hawkeye are looking on. Hawkeye looks like he's getting ready to shoot an, an arrow at uh, the two fighting. And off to the left is Moon Knight getting ready to throw one of his... Is uh, boomerangs that uh, can't boomerang loaned him. While in the foreground, <laughs> plus to kill a mockingbird, 
And I got to say right off the bat, I really like that drawing in the foreground of uh, Bobby Morse being choked by two – we can't really see whose hands, but two white-gloved hands. It's, ah, oh, you're going to die, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we got to go. The fuzz is coming. That is so wrong. But uh, she's got a uh, her hands gripped on his wrists. This person's wrists. We have to assume it's a man or a mouse. And I almost it almost if you were just to cut off the top of the picture, to me it almost looks like John Byrne drew that. She does have that light touch, mm-hmm. that, that light burn touch a little. I, I I think the facial features are different from a burn drawing, but. I do see what you're talking about with the nice thin lines. And and, and the hair just looks a little burnish, if that's a term. So, on to our book. The Friday Night Frights. And yep, strap in, kids, because I read this through two or three times and didn't write anything down. So, we open with the Phantom Rider. Not to be confused with the Ghost Rider. Although the question is, is he a ghost? We don't know yet. We're not sure. Uh, He enters a secret cavern, and inside we have the Texas Twister, who seems to be uh, trying to summon a spirit from the nether regions or wherever uh, that um, the Phantom Rider has told him it'll help him gain his revenge um, over something that happened, which it's been so long since I've read these, to his partner, Victoria Star, also known as Shooting Star, back in West Coast Avengers. I believe that says eight. Let me zoom in. Yes, eight. So he wants to get revenge on the Avengers, and you kind of figure out that the Phantom Rider is using him to whatever, uh, to to actually get, to summon who the Phantom Rider wants to summon. It's not going to be who the Texas Twister thinks it is. And we get a quick little flashback to Avengers, uh, West Coast Avengers 23, to where back in 1876... When the West, the West Coast team was traveling through time in issues like 17 to 25 or 23, to where, from his point of view, um, Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird, had killed him. But basically, he was he was hanging off a cliff, and he said, "You know, uh, Barbara, I had to do what what I did. Pull me up." And she says, "Drop dead," and lets him fall off the cliff. So then he goes right, into a little pad. Enough. Of you. Of you. <laughs> she doesn't kick him. She doesn't step on him. She just lets him die. So so for five generations, he says, his spirit screamed in endless pain and rage. Phantom Rider was enraged and ripped the little elves' lungs out. She went back to the future, to now, and was and the Phantom Rider of 1876 was already more phantom than man. So at this point... You're not really sure if this is the spirit, if he's inhabiting someone, you, although you think he might be. So they do a little more hocus pocus, hocus pocus, abracadabra, hocus pocus, abracadabra. <laughs> Newport News, Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, you know where that's coming from, right, Paul? Hey, we're back to Bugs Bunny again. Yep, pocus cadabra. Hocus pocus. Oh. <laughs> So, poof, in pops Archon, huh? And it says a note down there, an Avengers foe since Avengers 75. 
Uh, Archon comes from a alternate dimension, and he's kind of the ruler, and he basically chucks lightning bolts and has a nice fancy hat. Love that hat. You love that hat? Love that hat. I would wear that all over the place. <laughs> I really don't know how you fight with it on. I, well, I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you poke somebody. You could two, two guys could be running at you from the side, and you can stab them for a quick jab of your head. I mean, it's almost hard to describe. He's got like a skull cap, which He's is similar a... like, to the one that Thor wears. You know, with the two eagle's wings on it. Right. Only but, eliminate the eagle's wings, and then the top of his a head... A giant golden hawk on the top of it. But very, very wide very and pointy. Very contemporary art-style hawk. Like, no feathers. Doesn't really look... Just looks like the... Just it... Yeah. It just has wide, swooping things out to the side. You gotta figure that hat is a good two feet wide, two feet across. Yeah. Must be hell trying to get through the airport with that thing. Babe, can you go back, sir? Just keep poking people in the eye. Ow. Ow. Sir, can you push your seat up? Your hat, your your hat's hitting me. Archon will not stand for this. I will fly coach no more. So, uh, Texas Twister's a little confused by what's going on. He's like, "This is this is the spirit's going to help us. I don't know what's going on." And Archon's basically, but this is exactly who the Phantom Rider wants here to basically attack Avengers, and and he says, "Yeah, you've been brought here." To do my will, strike at Wonder Man and walk and Walking Bird, Mocking Bird. He goes, Pafa, Pafa. Actually, he says that, Pafa. I came to Earth because I willed it so. And uh, basically, he's mad because um, they've been making movies about him. And I'm not going to really comment on gods or religious figures or religions that have their figures being depicted in some way and them going all batshit crazy. That's all I'm going to say about that. You can read into that what you want. Meanwhile, on the western edge of the continent, far from the raging skies, stands Moon Knight, talking to himself. Or is he? He's speaking with Kenoshu. Kenoshu? Kanoshu. Kanu? Kanega? Kanahuga? Kayuga. Yeah, there we go. Kayuga. No. Kenoshu, right? Uh, okay. I wish there was Kanshu, but... Kanshu. Kanshu. Why did I not see that? On shoe. It's just simple if you sound it out. Uh, but it's a little side plot. He's asking about uh, why does Mockingbird have death on her mind? And what about the Phantom Rider? And blah, 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 blah. Because basically, you know, I guess he's feeling that she's got some guilt on her. But before he can keep talking, uh, ooh, up comes Tiger. A little smoochy smoochy going on. Mm-mm-mm. I love me some Tiger. Nothing? You're not going to back me up on this? You don't like Tiger? Ooh, ooh, weird. I, I think I'd have a, a tough cat. time. She's like a six-foot-tall yeah, female I think cat. I'd be, I'd, yeah, I think I'd be a little uncomfortable with that. First of all, the fur all over her body would kind of freak me a little. Ah. The tail would definitely freak me. Anyway. <laughs> it's like bestiality. I'm sorry. Bestiality? Bestiality. Oh, okay. Bestism. Bestiality. What is that? You have sex with your best friend? Anyway. Anyway, in comes uh, the potty pooper, Iron Man. Why don't you two go somewhere private? And of course he says, because he wants to come up and think. It's like, hey, buddy, you don't own a freaking cliff face. Get out of here. And he just tries to think, you know, oh, well, you know, Mr. Stark, help pay for this, blah, 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 blah. And uh, Hawkeye breaks it up before things can get get out of hand. And then... um, Clint basically says, hey, you know, I think there's something bothering you. You can trust me. You can talk to me. And uh, Iron Man says, yeah, sure. Thanks. Poof, take, 
trust me. And he t- takes off. Uh, and then as um, Clint looks on, Bobby walks up and, and wants to try to talk to him about something. But before they can really um, go any further, up comes Hank Pym and says, we're going to call from the Ecos. And I don't think I had ever seen... I don't remember them calling them this. It's the East Coast Avengers, but he says it Ecos. E-A-K-O-S, right? Ecos? Yeah. Why wouldn't he just say East Coast? We're going to call from the East. Just anyway. So once they get on the line, we see this is the lineup of the Dr. Druid era. (laughs) And um, they're saying that uh, Captain America, oh, correction, the captain, because this is when Cap was going by, the captain, uh, gave us them some very disturbing news that Iron Man had basically invaded the vault. Because uh, I think this was, I don't know if this is Armor Wars 1 or 2. I think this would be 1. Where I'm he not was certain. He was um, knocking out all the, it's Iron Man 228, so I think that is Iron War, Iron War Armor Wars 1. Uh, so he was basically knocking out the guardsman's outfit. So... Basically, they're like, hey, we need to have an explanation why. And then Hank McC- um, um, Hawkeye's like, well, you know, I was just talking to him. What do I do? Oh, I'm so confused. And then uh, kaboom, out of nowhere comes a lightning bolt. And they scramble outside to find Archon there. And he's uh, he's ready to go uh, toe-to-toe. It's the Paul Meachin Code. It, it is against the Palmechian Code to create an image of the Imperion being him. So basically, uh, he's going to fight Wonder Man to the death. And this is a far cry from the Wonder Man that when we covered our stuff in um, West Coast Avengers, not West Coast Avengers, Avengers Spotlight with that Wonder Man with the safari suit mm-hmm. era. Um, this one has a lot of confidence in his fight. He's gotten much more powerful uh, he's learned more of his, you know, he's learned that his limits are kind of limitless. He doesn't fear for his mortality anymore. And he's basically going toe to toe, but he's also told, told by, um, Archon tells the others to stand back. If not, he's going to go, he has a nuke, basically a nuclear device on his belt. <laughs> okay. So, uh, they all stand back and watch and Wonder Man is really getting the upper hand on him. And then Bo- uh, Bobby just kind of looks off to the side. And so she's like, what the? F-? And sees the Phantom Rider. And while the rest are watching the fight, she sneaks off to confront him. And we get another flashback, this time from her side of the story, to where you see that the Phantom Rider of 1877, eight, excuse me, 1876, had kidnapped her, drugged her. To make her fall in love with him and it worked. And then when she got free, basically, <laughs> woman scorned, huh, let him fall. So they confront each other and, you know, he's saying that she, he is actually a ghost. And some of the fighting that takes place, it, he does appear to be a ghost. He can step onto the air. He can become in solid and intangible at will or appears to. He can just make his, his head appear, his gloves appear. Um, and basically, Bobby's fighting a losing battle meanwhile um simon williams has fighting a winning battle with um archon and is getting the somewhat getting the upper hand on him because he's not not really holding back anymore and then we cut back to bobby and the and the phantom rider again and the the fight 
vacillates between the two on and off until finally Archon says, you have, you know, you're equal in battle to me. And Simon agrees to get the studios to to talk to them to not create any more Archon movies to so that that there will be no further desecration. And then, boom, he throws out a lightning bolt and goes. Meanwhile, Bobby is still fighting with the Phantom Rider and he gets the better of her. And, and now she's the one hanging off a cliff and he's getting ready like he's going to step on her fingers to let her fall. But then he's like, nope, you haven't suffered enough yet. And then hops on his ghost horse and boo, rides off into the sky at night, leaving her hanging there. And she goes to try to shift her weight to fly back up uh, to flip herself back up onto the uh, onto the cliff. And she falls but catches herself on a stairwell that was built on the cliff on the way. And then um, as she climbs back up the stairs, the others find her and says, Hey, why, what are you doing down here? Why would you duck out on the big fight? You missed all the excitement. And meanwhile, over all their heads back in the distance, she can see the, the, the uh, head of the Phantom Rider uh, lingering in the sky, mocking her. And that is the end of the issue. So... It's been a long time since I read this, and I remember her letting the Phantom Rider die, and that he, at some point, he came back and started to haunt her. And I glanced ahead a few issues, and there is, I looked at, what was it, 41 and 40? There's, there's like a whole group, uh, like the Sons of Spirit, that come and are um, actually uh, fighting the West Coast Avengers, and it is... And at some point, they actually try to do an exorcism on, I guess, the descendant of the Phantom Rider. And two spirits come out. One is the one like from 1876. And then there's another one I, that is also a descendant. And the two are battling. So there is some um, spirit possession. So that's where the whole ghost thing came in here, why I ch chose this book. It wasn't as ghosty as I thought it was because at this point, you're not really clear if this is a real ghost or not. But he will turn out to have ghost uh, to be in, I think, possession of one of his descendants trying to gain his vengeance. I guess I've babbled enough. Anything, Paul? Anything on this? Do you uh, remember? I like this story. I thought it was pretty cool. I like the whole this thing, this battle occurring with you know with the other Avengers not being aware of it. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that whole aspect of it. I, I like the guilt she's feeling, the embarrassment or shame that she's mm -hmm. feeling. Um, I, I'm a little let down by the artwork, though. Well, yeah. I think the art is very, very inconsistent, for lack of a, a better descriptor for it. Because there are some panels which I think look pretty good, and then there's other ones which I don't. I think Al Milgram never had a knack for drawing Wonder Man. I think he, he always looks bad. Yeah, Wonder Man, there's a couple in here that are just not good. I don't know if it's because... The way he's drawn them, like any shot that shows his eyes, like straight on, ah, just they don't. He doesn't look good. You know, overall, I think it's you know the art is passable. It's the storytelling is fine. It's not particularly dynamic, although the battle scenes are are pretty well choreographed overall. So again, I think it's kind of inconsistent. the The scenes with Mockingbird fighting the uh, Night Rider. I think Phantom those are Rider. pretty cool. Yeah, those are good. I kind of like those better than the Archon Wonder Man ones yeah. because it's what you don't see that makes it – because it's basically – even though some of them are um, – I don't want to say it's a cheat that there's just a – there's either a white or a black background. But it's almost like you don't know if 
the Phantom Rider is doing that to her, like meant he's met he's messing with her head. Because at some points his body disappears and he's just two gloves and a and a head and a hat floating in in midair. Or there's another shot where he's just two gauntlets and two guns floating in air and he shoots her uh, batons out of her hands. And it and it seems like those it's the the less the less of a background makes the to me it makes the fight stick out more. Yeah, I, I think when when Milgram's artwork has the darker backgrounds, it's more effective based on this issue. The splash page I think is pretty cool. The scene with uh, Tigra and Moon Knight in the, you know with the black backgrounds that looks pretty good. Even when Iron Man and Hawkeye come into it, it's still looking pretty good there. The more brightly lit ones seem kind of run of the mill nothing special about them then we go to the fight with mockingbird and and knight rider and again we have some black backgrounds and the artwork looks pretty cool it becomes so much more crisp and it, it pops out so much more with those black backgrounds yeah but yeah on the bright on the brighter pages it kind of is very i mean all the archon you know, fights is not i i don't there's a couple shots that are good but they don't look as good as the knight as the phantom rider Bobby fight. Yeah, so it's uh, it's very inconsistent, but the inconsistency is easy to spot out mm-hmm. as far as you know when it looks good and when it doesn't. Well, one shot that's really, and I guess it's kind of hard to try to show people on a flat screen in a flat medium, in that when they're talking to the East Coast Avengers, in the one shot they're kind of more looking somewhat over Hawkeye's shoulder at the screen. So the people on there appear in the same dimensions as the characters on our side of the screen. But well, then Black, Black a, Knight needs to go on a strict no-carb diet, diet. Strictly low-carb, no more turkey stick, uh, turkey leg uh, for you diet. Cause his, and, well, and it's like his head is normal size as everybody else, but his body is like way too wide. Yeah, but the next one down, man, what happened? Did somebody smashing Captain Marvel's face against the view screen? <laughs> I know they're trying to make it because now you're at more of a side angle. So you're it's supposed to be flat, but still, it just I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree be- with you. It looks kind of freaky. Actually, yeah. she looks a little like Katana there. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, it's just uh yeah, I didn't really. I I I got to that shot and went, whoa, whoa. You know, maybe you should just do a straight on shot instead of trying to go for the fancy side shot. You know, but I all see that what's... said, I I think this the everything about the artwork. I think this is a really cool story. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, the Archon thing that's just kind of a diversion. That's to have everybody have something to do while the stuff goes on with Bobby and and the Night Rider. That's our story, Bobby and the Night Rider, really. Mm-hmm. And and that's the cool one. Night the Archon thing I could do without it doesn't really matter. It's just something to have everybody busy while this is going on. Yeah, it's almost like that's the only reason he drummed he drummed them up was just to distract the rest of them so he could get in and start tormenting Bobby. Yeah, pretty much. So he's 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 got a pretty long game here because like, this goes on for a good many issues. So you know, it's shot that is kind of uh, where is that page twenty. Second panel to where like his boot comes out of nowhere and kicks her like in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. I can feel that with the way that she's drawn. Yeah, she really. That's a really. I mean, it's an odd panel to say, but it really you you can feel the pain in that kick, the way it's drawn and the way the way the fight looks. 
in a lot of the Wonder Man Archon ones, I don't feel that. It's all comic book violence. This is this is like pain you can feel in this fight. It's yeah, more I, I get what you're saying and and I I kind of agree with it's, you. It's it's more on a visceral level. It's it's something that you could you could get in this type of fight. Maybe not with a disembodied ghost float with a hat floating in the air, but it's more on a personal level. Whereas the other one is like trading of like bombastic booms and powers and flying. This is just, you know, a brawl. I mean, this is just like a it's she's trying to be finessed. It's two fighters that know how to fight. It's not sheer strength, and he's just kicking her ass all over the place. Yep. I totally agree with you on that point. I think you know, and, and that's why as as I said, I think the artwork's kinda inconsistent because you go from pictures like that, which I think look excellent, to the Archon Wonder Man fight, which is just there. Well the first shot of the Texas Twister. I'm like Texas Twister kind of kind of a wuss. Well, I, I don't really remember what happened here. I mean I kinda remember. It's been so long since I've read these. Uh but he the first shot, he's he looks a little like the his proportions, he looks kinda frumpy. Yeah, well, he looks a little undetailed to me in that first shot. Yeah, he's he's, he's kind of like broken too. He's like, oh, uh, I'm gonna get her back by my side, or by gum, I'm, I, I'm gonna get my revenge. I swear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move on, please. Move along. Move along. I Not love the see here. I love the thought where he's like, ah, this man is a borderline lunatic now, as he forcibly wraps his simple psyche around such a sophisticated goal. His slovenly single-mindedness has made my sacred cave a garbage pit. <laughs> it's like, oh god, it's like it's it's like uh, the odd couple. Felix <laughs> Felix is the Phantom Rider <laughs> and uh, the Texas Twister is Oscar. <laughs> I, I like how they did the conversion. I mean, it's over several issues. It's not really just here. In fact, here is more the culmination of it. But how they did the conversion of Knight Rider from hero to villain. Phantom Rider. Phantom Rider. Phantom Rider. I keep saying Knight Rider. Well, he's had several names. Phantom Rider, yeah. Knight Rider, well, actually, and Ghost Rider. Yeah, it is mentioned somewhere. It's either in this one or one of the other ones I read where he talks about... I Actually, I think it was the other one I read because they were talking about the different names that he's had. So, well, I guess I will, I will begin my grading. You go. Uh... Oh, well, I also forgot to point out in the, in the front cover, in the top left-hand box, we have the John Byrne versions of all the characters. Mm-hmm. of uh, Hawkeye, Mockingbird, Hank Pym, Tigra, Wonder Man, and I guess that's his version of Moon Knight. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. Oh, no, it's definitely. So if I had to give – see, I like this cover because there's a lot going on, but the stuff in – well, like in, in a lot of art – the stuff in the foreground is more a little more detailed than the background, but the background is really not detailed in that fight back there with Archon and Wonder Man. And to me, that kind of brings it down a little. But the front stuff in the front brings it up. So I think for this cover, I am going to give it a... It's like a C plus or a B minus. I think I'm going to go for a B minus. The interior art... Mm. Again, like some stuff, don't like other stuff. So I think I'm just going to have to average it to a a C. The story, it you okay, Paul? Yeah, Ghost my microphone just kind of 
<laughs> settled in up. there for a second. Um, we hit a lot of subplots. Jeez. Scusa. Okay. We hit a lot of subplots in here. We've got the romance with Moon Knight and Tigra. We've got the stuff going on with Iron Man. We've got Texas Twister, a lot of callbacks. Um, I mean, this is Steve Englehart, so he is weaving a lot of things in here. So I think for the story, I'm going to give the story uh, an A minus because uh, it's building on a lot of things. Um, and so that would be, I guess that's still average, somewhat around a B overall. What say you? Uh, the artwork is kind of troublesome in this book, on the cover and in the interior art. I feel like it's it's the tale of two cities, you know, because you have <laughs> yeah, you yeah. have really good and really bad. Not really bad. I, I, I may be overstating that. You have really good and really nothing special. Yeah, I think that's that's what you where you range from on the cover. That that foreground image of the mockingbird being choked out is excellent. The background image of the fight, conceptually, is pretty cool. That they they all have their backs to her and they really can't see what's going on, and I think it you know gives you a good hint as to what's going on in this story. Uh, but as rendered on the cover, they're just kind of meh. Especially well, I, Hank Hank Pym looks a little wide and beefy there, and I I never really cared for the Professor Pym Avenger thing. Mm-hmm. I was I pr- always preferred him in a costumed identity. So could could we if if we were going to give the cover a uh, if we were going to use a movie title for the co- cover would it be the good the bad and the ugly? Yeah, quite <laughs> possibly. Uh, I'm gonna say a just a B on the cover. I think that foreground image is enough to bump it up to that. Mm-hmm. The interior art, I feel like the stuff that we pointed out that's good is actually very good. That would probably get a B plus from me. The stuff that we pointed out that's not so great is not horrible. It's just kind of average, and it would probably get a C. So when I put it all together, I think I'm looking at a, a B minus book as far as the artwork goes. Story-wise, there's a lot going on. The whole Archon story is kind of silly, but again, that's just a diversion to get the other characters away from the action that really matters. The stuff that really does matter is really kind of you know, intensely written and, and enjoyable to read. So I'm going to say a B-plus on the story, and overall I'll give the book a B. Hmm. Okay, which is a couple of Bs. And that's it for our... Ghost books. Uh, you want to try and squeeze in an email or two? Sure. Let me uh, skid out all over to the email. Uh, well, if you, you if you've already got it open, I will read our first email, which is from Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and it's titled "Silver Surfer versus Power Man: Power Man versus Ego, the Living Planet, the Dead Walk the Earth, Cats and Dogs Living Together, Mass Hysteria." <laughs> Pliers of the Time Stream. This episode two forty six. Ego needs love too is a very rare occurrence for me. I actually own all of the comics discussed. Silver Surfer, Volume 2, Number 22. It's actually Volume 3. Volume 2 was a one-issue, one-off. And Luke Cage, Power Man, Number 21. So I actually ventured to to my nerd hole and found them in my admittedly small amount of long boxes. Silver Surfer's 80 series was one of my proto-collecting books. By this, I mean while I consider the first book I collected to be Marvel's The Toxic Avenger. I did have a few issues of The Silver Surfer before that. I remember buying issue number one of the Mobius Surfer miniseries off the spinner rack of the 7-Eleven in Danbury, Connecticut, 
near the Danbury Fair Mall, and later buying number 15 of this series from the same spinner rack, guest starring Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. From there, I would pick up about 10 issues from earlier than number 15 at the Giant Flea Market in Stormville, New York later that year. I eventually sold those issues off, only to get them and more back as a gift from my brother when he picked up a huge lot of them at New York Comic Con one year. The Surfer has always appealed to me as a character, and I'm hoping to do a read-through of these at some point. At, at some point. Uh, at the very least, I pulled out number 22 to read, thanks to your positive coverage of the issue on, the, on this episode. Power Man number 21 is a personal favorite of mine. I was first exposed to Luke Cage in 1993 when I picked up Cage number 12, sort of at random, from my LCS. But I didn't become a fan of the character until I was in college and was learning more about the Marvel Bronze Age. I initially was drawn to him due to the same name syndrome, us Lukes have to stick together, but I soon became a fan of his curmudgeonly attitude and the cathartic nature of his stories. Issue 21 was was bought during my early honeymoon phase on the title, where every new issue which I bought was an adventure. I'm pretty sure that I got number 21 at the Big Apple Comic Con, which predates the current New York City Comic Con, and was held at St. Paul's Church Auditorium across the street from Madison Square Garden. At the time, I I primarily knew Power Man Eric Justin from reading the early days of the Avengers in The Essentials. I had read a bit of Thunderbolts and knew he was Atlas, but I still thought of him as Enchantress's replacement boy toy. So the idea of two Power Men beating the heck out of each other brought a huge grin to my face, and still does. Flipping through the issue last night, I had forgotten how rough the art is. But this story will always rate with me, if only for Cage's final page speech, when he tells Justin, Before you go to sleep, little buttercup, I've got a few heavy words to lay on you. In the future, (laughs) you may want to take up this line of work again. Now you can call yourself Spider-Man. You can call yourself the Invisible Woman. You can stick a flag in your navel and call yourself the Spirit of 76. But if you ever call yourself Power Man again, I will tattoo that name on your ribcage. As far as new characters who have made an impact, I'm sure you guys have already been inundated with this answer. But Deadpool and Cable are two of the big ones from the 1990s. I'm not a fan of either one, but their fandoms are fairly undeniable, as we saw back in February. Regarding Venom, while Paul is right that he cannot be directly ported to another company because of his anti-Spider-Man motif, I do think that the original concept, the idea of two organisms working together in tandem as one combined pluralistic being to get revenge on the hero, is a very creative idea which could have been lifted and used in a creator-owned series. To me, that to me was always the strength of Venom more so than the fact that he was the anti-Spider-Man. And this is coming from a guy who has nearly a full run of the original, or as I say, the real, Venom's appearances and miniseries from the 90s into the 2000s. Unfortunately, this idea of holding back the best stuff has only gotten worse now that we are deep in the superhero movie era, as big two have become, to me, little more than legal stewards of their respective intellectual properties, only publishing comics to maintain trademarks and little else. It's no surprise to me that I buy and read more Valiant comics every month than Marvel and DC combined. But that is a rant for another time. Thanks for the fun episode, guys. Keep making them, and I will keep listening. Luke. Uh, I do agree about the fact that Venom's uh, reason for existing or his creative niche niche is that he's the two characters or that the you know the two people put together combined with the hatred of the character of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But I think in order for that concept to work, you have to have a little bit of an investment in the character, 
either the characters that are getting combined or the character that they hate. So I still don't know that it would have worked as an original series. I, you know, we'll, we'll never know because it wasn't released that way. But that's my opinion on it, that it kind of had to be the way it was. Mm. You know, I'd be interested in hearing if Luke has any more thoughts on that. But, you know, whatever. Thanks for the email, Luke. Same name syndrome. Mm. So it would be Bill Foster. Dead. Uh, what other Bills are there? I can't think of Bill comic book heroes. Hmm. Well, we got Scott. Scott Simon Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, that's stretching. <laughs> Paul, we got any Pauls? I'm sure Scott's we do. got Scott Lang. Yeah, I'm sure Scott would be thrilled that he has Ant-Man. <laughs> shrinkage. It was shrinkage. Oh, that's why they call him Ant-Man. <laughs> or so I've heard. Should I just go to the next email? Yeah. The next email comes from Trevor Williams, and its subject is episode 252. First off, I apologize for not regularly commenting on the episodes. Logistics has me listening to multiple podcasts on my commutes, and by the time I get to a point where I could write, it's been hours and several podcasts, and I can't remember what I wanted to say. But I do listen to and enjoy each episode. That ex- that excuse uh, that excuse is in the record for the future. I actually am at home and listening to this current episode, so no excuse to not jot off a few quick comments. I love the idea of doing specific landmark stories in future episodes. I love the randomness of most episodes, and almost every book you guys do are right in my wheelhouse. But a change of pace is always nice. Maybe give us a week or two notice so we listeners can follow along. Hmm. Well, that uh, was, to be honest with you, that was my impetus in putting the cover art of the book on the uh, posts. Right. So, yeah, that, so before you listen, there, yeah. you have a chance to see what books we're going to cover. I understand it doesn't give you a lot of time, but you know, you always could download it, read the books, and get back to it later. You don't necessarily have to listen immediately. Uh, although I appreciate people who listen immediately, so. Whatever you, whatever works for you is fine, but that is why I put the the cover art on the uh, on on the posting so that if people want to read the books in advance, they have an opportunity to. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of helping your listeners, some better use of your Facebook feed would be nice. Seems like some episodes get posts and some don't. And I asked a question on the page a few weeks ago and didn't get a response. Hmm, I wish you had put your question here. Don't remember. I don't recall it offhand, and I apologize because I usually do. When there is an inquiry in there, I usually do try to respond to it if I can. Yeah, but sometimes, uh, I mean, because you, you and I and, and Scott look, look at the Facebook feed, but sometimes we, you know, if I don't go on there for a while, I may get like 29, you know, you have 29 notifications, and then I'll be like, ooh, and I'll be going through, and something might happen, and I. You know, if you go off of Facebook and then you come back and look at the notifications, you sometimes don't see all the ones you originally had. You may only have 10 up there now. So I, I apologize, too, if 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 we miss that. Um, feedback via letters is probably easiest for you all. But if you but if you encourage comments and give feedback on either Facebook or a blog, it would generate some interactive feedback among your listeners. 
And sometimes I agree. And, yeah, and yeah. you know, it's it's not a matter of us wanting to ignore anything. It's a matter of you know we do have day jobs, and sometimes yeah. sometimes things slip by us. But the the whole reason we have the page is because we want to interact with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and if um, maybe just you can put a post on there, or you could even message one of us directly if you like. Um, you know, I'm I'm Bill Robinson, and uh, I approve of this message. Oh. oh. <laughs> Um, yeah, we could do that or just tag us in a post, uh, and we will take a look. Uh, continuing on, Scott mentioned the Dr. Zero character, I believe. He was part of the Shadow Line imprint under Epic. It could, uh, uh it could have great, uh, the first mature reader superhero imprint Epic. It sold poorly, but I believe they at least finished up the storylines when it relaunched in the anthology Critical Mass. Here's the wiki. Oh, there's a clip there. Open that. I'll look at that later. Again, I, I listen each week and really appreciate you guys. I'll try to comment more often. Trevor Williams. And we have a post trip. P.S. I apologize if this bothers you, but I must be honest and say that the Ernie Chan bits would be best left on the cutting room floor. I know you addressed this once already, and I'm not articulate enough to change your minds. But I hope that you rethink the issue someday. Still love you guys. Thanks for all the entertainment. Sent from my Atari 2600. I did not know they had that capability. Well, I guess we have to. Well, I, I think the, I think Bill's clumsiness uh, I, well, I, took care took care of your criticism there. And uh, thanks for the email, Trevor. And thank you for the respectful way that you gave that postscript. I really do appreciate that. I I, I welcome. Thoughts that are different. I thought Little Ernie was funny, uh, but again, you know, Bill was is an oaf. Well, I think of Ernie every time I sit out of my chair because there's a big stain on it. <laughs> All right, uh, maybe we have time for another one. It wouldn't be an, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't have an email from Russell Bragg. So <laughs> it's titled "Back to the Bins 252." It's not easy being green. Hi guys, great episode, but you knew that. I need to stop resting on my laurels and write a whole slew of emails or Kirk G. will pass me by. I think the Captain Boomerang intern skit is my favorite so far. Crikey you, Sergeant Rock, Paper, Scissors. Bill Robinson, Master of Dialect. Keep those skits coming. Paul, you were close to pronouncing my college name. Broadus is pronounced like the word used less respectably that the lady and put us at the end. Okay. Broad a, us. Yeah. It was a college when I graduated. Now it's a university. All your Comic-Con talk has me, still has me contemplating going to the West Virginia Comic-Con next year. It's billed for June 3rd, but it's too early for any other news yet. I think it would mostly be the crowds that would keep me away. I'm not much for cramped spaces, and I'm sure I, and I'm sure I want to experience confunk, but I will keep you posted. I have been enjoying Dr. Bill adding to his imitations repertoire, Ernie Chan, etc. I performed my first podcast impression for DC Comics Presents show number 53. It was akin to Boris Karloff. Cool comic swag from Scott. I too have limited collector's edition C39, Secret Origins of Supervillains. All those treasuries are great. I have almost all of the DC ones that I want. I don't really want the Tarzan or Mystery ones, but would get them if they didn't cost an arm and a leg. It would be nice to have the entire limited collector's edition treasury run. 
I did finish my famous first edition treasury collection when I won C28 Detective Comics number 27 on eBay. Have you guys seen the previews for the Wonder Woman Bionic Woman team-up comic book? I have not. Mm. I was wondering what you thought about it. On to the comics, of which I didn't have either one. Loved Green Green Grass of Home, played behind Green Lantern number 91. I don't think it continued an earlier story, but Sinestro appears in the issue. As for Green Arrow number 39, I could tell that this issue stems from number 34, where it mentions Ollie's arrest for treason. It may even come from earlier issues and concludes there, which starts a saga called The Black Arrow, which ends one issue before Scott's issue. I thought it funny Scott kept calling Green Arrow Green Lantern. I guess I've rambled long enough. Keep up the fine episodes. I'll be listening. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia, host of the DC Comics Presents show. Russell, I'll start right off with I am jealous of your treasury collection. I do have a collection of them, but it's not nearly as expansive as it was when I was actually buying them new off the stand. And I lament my lack of issues. Thankfully, uh, Dave Weider had sent me a stack of them, so I do have some. And then I had, I still had a couple of the Marvel ones as holdovers from uh, when I collected them originally. I don't know why I got rid of any of them, to be honest with you, because I do love that format. Anyway, I don't, I don't think I have any of the limited collector's edition DC books. Oh. I've got, I've got a lot of oversized Marvel ones and and the Marvel super specials and graphic novels, but not, uh, not DC. <laughs> Poor Bill. <laughs> And I, I, this is actually my first uh, indication of a Wonder Woman Bionic Woman team up. I was un- totally unaware of it until now. Oh yeah, so I that didn't is know something it. I'd like to see. Crikey, I'd like to see that too. Uh, what do you think? Are we done, or do you have? Do you want to do one more? Uh, I'm done. Okay, well then I'm Good. done too. Yeah, I'm, you're just I'm... done because because Kyle's email is long. <laughs> yeah, I did. I looked at it and went, oof. So next time around, we'll hit we'll hit your email. Next Come time, on. we'll read a Kyle Benning. Oh, no, wait, because next week. Well, yeah, next week is. Well, show. Next week will be the final horror episode where we will be having a special guest. Join yes. us next time. Join us next time when we take you. Where are we going, Paul? Where you've never been before. Are we going to war? Yes, we will go to war. With who? With the worlds? We're not going to war with the worlds. Of the worlds? Of the worlds. That sounds good. And maybe we'll we'll the worlds. And maybe some Nietzschean type Superman will go with us. Ooh, that's such a tease. They'll never figure out what book it is from that. Yeah. All right. Well, join us next week. Next time. Next time. Next time. Hello, Andy Leyland here. Next time. Oh, wait, that's just horrible. He's gonna smack me whenever he sees. <laughs> He's gonna smack you from overseas. Whap. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available 
Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Hello! Hello! Where'd everybody go? Oh, man, I'm a ghost. Oh, what has have to happen to me? When I was young, I never needed anyone. And making love was just for fun. Those days are gone. Hey, what's that? It looks like a bright light. Uh, I must be going to heaven. Here I come. All right. What the? Matt Husworth? What are you doing here? That is a good question. I really have no idea. I thought I was going to heaven, and what, am I going to Halloween Horror Nights? <laughs> yeah, no, you're, if I'm here, this is no heaven. I, I really can't tell you what's going on. I'm not sure where I am either. Oh, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven or hell. Uh, maybe you could stick around and do something with the guys. On a chance! Out, 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 out.